Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded half a million times in over 145 countries, and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. Hello, everyone. In today's episode, episode 181, we talk about our recent trip to the western edge of New South Wales to do some more remote area hikes. Before we get on to today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways you can help us out. Firstly, subscribe to your podcast host of choice so that each episode is available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review on your podcast listening service. Another way to support us if you like what we do is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. For many of us, hiking means doing walks close to home. But coming out of a global pandemic, our governments and tourism bodies have asked us to share the love and to holiday locally. So on the Easter just gone, Jill and I headed out towards the arid regions of New South Wales to hike some of the more remote national parks. In this episode, we talk about our trip and some of the amazing walks that we experienced. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. It's 7.30 on... Easter Saturday, Jill and I are in the car having left home approximately about half an hour ago and we're heading out towards Mudawindji National Park today for a drive uh, today and tomorrow of just on 1100 kilometres. Yeah, so a beautiful day and great day for driving, haven't had a road trip for a long time. Uh, as has been the case, the, um, the governments and the tourism commissions are asking everyone to travel locally and not that we really have much of a choice on, on going overseas at the moment, but rather than staying at home and just doing some walks around our local area, uh, we thought we'd get out uh, to western New South Wales. So as we said, we're focusing on Mudawindji National Park and uh, uh, Mungo uh, over the, the next four or five days. Uh, and we'll be doing uh, a series of walks, not overly long walks. Um, Mungo itself, the walks are fairly short. I think we've only got a couple of walks that are both under two and a half kilometres. Mudawindji is a bit different. A lot of their walks are five uh, to seven and a half kilometre range, and that's where most of our walking is going to be done. So it'll be interesting to see what they're like. I've actually been out to Mungo a few years ago for work, uh, and I found it pretty amazing. So, but that was uh, the visit to Mungo National Park was only in a car, and we did the driving loop. So it'll be good to actually get out and do a bit of walking and see what that's like. Okay, so a bit of a long day for us drive-wise, but we're uh, stopping in at Cobar tonight. Uh, so we'll get there around about three o'clock this afternoon. Okay, talk to you later. It's three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. We've just uh, recently arrived in Cobar and checked into our hotel. Uh, so it took us just on uh, eight hours to travel just on 800 kilometres, and that included a couple of uh, stops as well. The drive was pretty good, actually. Um, 
partly because I wasn't driving. Uh, but, <laughs> it's always the way. Uh, but um, there was very little traffic on the road, which surprised us. I thought there'd be a lot more people uh, out and about. Uh, and certainly the hotel we've stayed at tonight, it is full. Um, but there's only a couple of people here at the moment. Um, so it's a good opportunity to have a bit of rest after a long drive and um, uh, head out to dinner at the local bowling club as you do in country towns in New South Wales uh, before uh, a relatively short drive tomorrow of about 300 kilometres to Matawinji. Yeah, it's been a good day, a, a beautiful day, clear skies and um, really interesting to see the landscape change um, as we headed uh, west. Um, and also interesting uh, to see that uh, even, um, you know, this this far south and west, there was a lot of rain. So the, the rivers are running and, um, you know, you can see evidence of uh, rain on the side of the roads from a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, def- different landscape. Um, uh, I guess good to see the rain um, and looking forward to tomorrow. I must admit, I had a look at the uh, the weather map when I, we got back into range and got a signal, and um, I think the only place that was raining in Australia at the moment was Perth. I think the rest of the country is is cloudless and no rain, so whether that's actually a case or not, but that's certainly what the rain satellite is showing. Forecast for today was supposed to be around about 29 degrees, uh, and I think it's about 27 at the moment, but certainly doesn't feel as... Uh, uh, as as warm as that. It actually uh, feels a lot cooler. Okay, so a bit of an afternoon rest, a bit of a catch-up on social media, and uh, heading off towards Mudawinji tomorrow. Good morning. It's day two of our Easter Western New South Wales uh, camping trip, uh, and we're just leaving Cobar. It's just a few minutes before 7 o'clock. Uh, and we're heading towards Mudawinji. So we've got uh, around about 485 kilometres to go for a day, and our GPS is telling us it's around about five and a half hour dri- uh, trip, or she'll get us there around about 12.30, 1 o'clock. One of the things that's really interesting to find is the, uh, uh, the GPS, which tells us where the next turn or the next diversion is, is saying 259 kilometres till the next turn. So we've got a, a pretty straight road without any, any detours for quite a long way. The hotel where we stayed at in Cobar last night was, uh, was full up. Uh, and I think Cobar is probably a good midway point. It's a long drive for a lot of people, but it is a good midway point, uh, particularly for where we're heading. Uh, it's, a, it's a decent enough sized town. Uh, we went out to the bowling club last night for dinner. Uh, and yeah, But there were other restaurants in town as well. Yeah, we had a great, uh, great night and a beautiful morning again and uh, looking forward to this very, very straight drive today. <laughs> one of the things that was noticeable yesterday, there was almost uh, a, a one point where it stopped being lush, green sort of uh, uh, environment that we were probably a bit more used to, to almost arid and it was almost instantaneous. Uh, got out to go to, uh, to stop at a rest stop to have a toilet break, and then all of a sudden it just uh, just changed totally. This morning's very much similar. We've got very much uh, low, scrubby sort of uh, uh, vegetation, a uh, lot of wattles, uh, some eucalypts, 
but it's definitely uh, it definitely can tell you getting into the arid uh, environment and the soils are uh, progressively getting darker red as we go. Okay, talk to you later. It's 2.44 on Sunday afternoon. We've got to Marawinji around about um, 1 o'clock. Um, stopped in at the, the visitor, large visitor kiosk and toilet area just down the road from the campground. Uh, made use of the facilities, had a look around. Uh, uh, we already had the, the printed information on the uh, walks, but we just wanted to have a look and see what the kiosk was like. Uh, and then we've come down to the campground and pitched our tent and set up our car. Okay, so over the two days, the Saturday and the Sunday, was pretty much spent as travel time, and potentially we could have done it as one really long day. But as we said, uh, between the two days, it was approximately 1,100 kilometres of driving, uh, and that was pretty much Jill. Uh, I'm quite happily... <laughs> that uh, was me, Tim, yeah. not pretty much. <laughs> I'm very happy to admit that Jill is a better driver, and she's happier when she drives anyway, so <laughs> it's just easy, easier for me to just... Uh, I think I'm happier uh, when you don't drive. Yeah. So... Um, uh, as I said, I think uh, we didn't quite do 800 kilometres the first day. I think it was close to sort of about 650 uh, and again roughly around about 450 the next day for uh, for two long days driving. I think overall though, it, what surprised me was we always try to avoid travelling on Good Fridays and looking at the news uh, uh, on the Friday night, uh, there was traffic jams all over the place with the whole of Sydney and Melbourne and the big cities trying to escape that. So it's actually a, a better thing to have one less day on the trip and have a lot less hassle on the travelling. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that also surprised me was, and maybe it's because we left a bit later than others, there was very little traffic on the road. It was, it, from that perspective, it was very easy driving. Um, and, you know, some sometimes it's one of those things, the assumptions that you make about how everybody's gone uh, travelling. I think they're probably visiting family rather than, you know, going to remote places um, and, uh, you know, trying to get there as fast as they could to spend as much time, understandably, as they would want to spend. The other thing with this trip as well is when we got to the campground, uh, I think over the period of days that we were there, we only saw one what you'd class as normal car, uh, every other vehicle we saw were pretty much four-wheel drives and there was the odd all-wheel drive vehicle as well. Um, but, yeah, it's the sort of thing that we came up through uh, a town called Whitecliff. Whitecliffs. Uh, Whitecliffs. And I think while the road was good and wide, you were required to cross some um, uh, creek beds or dips that they were signposted as. And I think in a normal car, you wouldn't want to come that way particularly if there was even the smallest amount of rain. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you could tell that they'd had rain within the last um, couple of weeks um, and, you know, there were some spots where people had to, to dried out but people had clearly gotten uh, stuck or bog, bogged along the way. Um, so, yeah, definitely uh, that route would have been uh, four-wheel drive vehicles, uh, um, strong suggestion, um, and there is another way you could have continued on from Wilcannia um, and then turned in. There were a slightly shorter uh, dirt road route to take. Probably wasn't as bad, but, um, you know, you would still need an all-wheel drive, um, perhaps not necessarily in good 
times, in good road times, um, a four-wheel drive. One thing you need to be very wary of with parks out in Western New South Wales is um, I think, and this goes for probably parks in the whole of Australia, is always check the local parks website to see what they're saying. Uh, and you know, this is a park where if there have been heavy rains, the roads can be closed and you may not be able to get into the park. So if you're about to do a thousand kilometre road drive, <laughs> you want to make sure. You want, you want to make sure. And certainly, from our perspective, you know, it had been raining a few weeks before, by the look of it, uh, but it had been fairly dry. Setting up in the campground, one of the things that surprised me was the amount of, I won't say car campers, I'll say caravan campers that there were. Pretty much every other vehicle, with maybe one or possibly two other exceptions, was either towing a trailer or towing a caravan. Uh, and we, you know, we were one of the rare people that, you know, we had an awning off the side of our four-wheel drive, uh, but we were just sleeping in our, our two-person hiking tent. Um, and there were a few other tent campers, but as I said, it was really limited. Uh, talking to a few people in the campground, uh, they'd travelled some very long distances. Uh, they'd come up further north and even further west into New South Wales uh, before coming down. So... Um, as I said, it's it's the sort of park that you know, really you do want an all-wheel drive vehicle or a four-wheel drive vehicle, and you do want to be paying attention to what the conditions are at the time. Campgrounds, uh, it's an arid area campground. You know, it, it is dry, but even having said that, though, it was probably greener than it has been over the last few years due to the rains, but it's not the sort of thing where you get lush green grass to camp on. Uh, there were a few areas that had grassy areas. Uh, we were camping on a an area typical of what we would do when we'd normally go camping. Uh, it was sort of a very sandy soil. Um, you know, all we had to do was just push some of the, the bark that had fallen down from the trees away uh, and set our tent up, um, you know, probably within about four metres, five metres of where our vehicle was. Yeah. The campground has uh, picnic tables and a couple of covered um uh, I guess barbecue areas uh, with a picnic table in them as well. Um, so you know, lots of lots of opportunity to sort of uh, move about and do some so socialising um, in a little bit of comfort. Now, once we had actually gotten ourselves set up, uh, we had quite a bit of time available, and rather than just sitting there just twiddling our thumbs, um, we decided we were going to do one of the walks. Uh, and we actually chose to do the Western Ridge Walking Track, which is also known as the Sunset Ridge Trail for obvious reasons. Uh, that, that is probably the best spot to see sunsets in the whole area. Uh, so, Assuming you go at the time when there's a sunset. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that is true. <laughs> that is true. We opted not to, and it's the sort of thing sometimes we will do, but quite, we're quite happy to head up. Uh, and that's the next uh, couple of uh recordings that will talk about that so playing with new toys this time we've actually got a, an awning for our four-wheel drive uh, just to give us a bit of shade and shelter uh, given that we are going to be sitting out outside for a, a reasonable period uh, and it is hot the temperature is around about 30 degrees today yeah so we really feel it here um, it wasn't so hot uh, along the way um, in terms of uh, some of the places we we travelled through, but yeah, definitely it's heated up, and uh, so it's going to be a bit of a a hot, tough six k walk that we're about to do. 
This walk is also called the Sunset Ridge Walk, uh, and they recommend timing it to uh, do it where you've got a sunset. Um, but given the time of the year, we've just gone in at daylight savings finish. Uh, we didn't want to wait for another hour and a half, in fact, another couple of hours before we started making our way up the hill. So happy not necessarily to see the sunset from the top uh, and to see what it's like during the daytime. Well, it depends on how long it takes us to get up there, I think. Isn't yeah, it? that's true. That's true. All right. Talk to you later. Good afternoon. It's 4.16 on Easter Sunday. We're about halfway through the first of our walks, and that's the Western Ridge Walk. And this takes you across the road from the camping ground, and you walk up the ridge line, uh, looking down onto the valley below, getting views to the day uh, activity area, the camping ground, the park infrastructure and community area. And then back on the other side of the ridge land, you've got just wide open plains. Vegetation is fairly sparse. I'd probably class this as semi-arid, maybe into arid. Uh, and it is pretty green at the moment. They've had a lot of rain out here, like the rest of Australia, over the last three or four weeks. So it's probably greener than it, than it was. Um, very different than what we're used to doing. It's very similar in some respects to the Larapinta Trail because there's a lot of rock and the trail you're walking on is very rocky, so it's not particularly flat. So you do have to watch where you're putting your feet and it is working your legs out. Yeah, today's a 30 degree day, so uh, and you know, late afternoon, so you know, pretty warm uh, at the moment, but definitely worth the, the scrambling up the rocks to get onto the ridge and uh, have that view um, over the other side. And, and Tim said it was vast, uh, that, that just doesn't even come close to <laughs> describing uh, the expanse <laughs> that you see on the other side of the ridge. This walk isn't overly long. It's around about six kilometres, but it is classed as a grade five. I think partly that's because of the heat, uh, the rock scrambling, uh, and the incline, which is not as steep as some, but put all those things together makes for a difficult walk. So as I said, we're about halfway through this walk at the moment, and we've been going for about an hour and 15 minutes. So I think in that respect, you know, by the time we get back down, it's going to be you know, two hours 45 almost three hours for a six kilometer walk which gives you an indication how slow going this is whereas do this walk on flat sort of coastal or inland areas and it'd be much quicker okay talk to you later we've just finished dinner after getting back from our walk um, it was quite interesting actually it took us a while to get up to probably the best viewing spot on top of the ridge in fact about an hour and 15 minutes but all up, we probably finished well under two hours. So it was sort of um, the hard bit first uh, and then the, uh, the easier piece uh, as we're coming down. Yeah, the, the climb up was uh, steep, a bit of scrambling, and, and, uh, but quite short. And then uh, the, the descent was longer, the way we went, uh, longer, but... Um, you know, quite gradual, so, you know, very doable. Um, we probably aren't far off going to bed now, and thankfully it was daylight savings finished last night, um, so we've got less daylight hours, which is not a bad thing. It means we wake up and have a, a lighter morning, uh, but it, it's not light well into the night. And I think given the fact the sun's gone over the hill, I think probably another half hour, 40 minutes, uh, and yeah, by seven o'clock it'll be be dark. 
and uh, you know, as I said, we're pretty tired, so we'll probably have an early night. Okay, that's us. So that was the first of our walks in Murawindji National Park, and for us, it's a bit of a strange one. And I'll, I'll preface that by saying, this is a an arid area national park. Uh, it does get very hot, uh, and particularly in the middle of summer, you try and avoid going out there because of the extreme heat. I don't think you would. No. <laughs> you wouldn't go. Um, but even for us, we had 30 degrees, and usually we would probably not do a walk in the afternoon. And really the main reason we did this was because we had all this extra time and we thought, right, to get the walks in for the time we had, we really did need to start in the afternoon. And I think if you're going to be doing this walk as a sunset walk, that's probably not a bad thing to do. You do it later in the afternoon, go a bit later than we started, uh, and um, uh, but you still expect to have some heat involved. For us, when we, if you're listening to those recordings, it took us about an hour and 15 to get to the summit proper. Now, we were walking along the ridge line for quite a way, but uh, we only had views towards one side or the other of the ridge. And we were looking for a spot where we could stop and do a recording and get views over both sides of the ridge line. So when we stopped and did this recording, we could see down to the day. Uh, uh, the day area, the the camping area, the community area, uh, and then see over to the very large open plain behind. Uh, And I think, you know, if you're going there for the sunset, uh, I think that's probably not a bad spot because really the ridge from one side to the other is probably only sort of 40 to 50 metres, which means you could sort of, you know, see, have a look down to the valley and as the sun starts uh, dropping below the horizon, you can then uh, have a very short walk and watch the sun setting over this large open plain. And you know, when we say uh, that time, we that wasn't halfway through the 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 walk. That was sort of probably about two thirds, two thirds of the yeah. way, yeah, through. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a it was a short climb up, but a um, bit of a a tough climb, um, but definitely worth it. And and uh, you know the, the the views, and I always like the easier route to be on the end of the walk. So that was good that it was a nice kind of a long long downward stroll. <laughs> after that, this area very much reminded me of the Northern Territory and Larapinta, uh, with probably Larapinta with a few less rocks is probably the best <laughs> way to describe it. That you know I've, I've been so used to walking our New South Wales coastal walks, which is very sandy. I've been used to walking New South Wales uh, Kosciuszko area, where it's pretty much a muddy, uh, soily sort of track, and in this case here, it's a reasonably sandy track uh, with a lot of rocks. Um, so you do want decent footwear. Uh, you do need to pay attention. And if you are planning on doing this walk as a sunset walk, you want a decent set of or a decent headlamp or a decent torch to look where you're going. Otherwise, the potential is you'll trip and stumble. So, um, yeah, with a decent torch, you'll be fine. The other thing was wildlife, uh, and this was probably lacking for the whole trip here. It's not a. This is a not necessarily a park you go to for wildlife. Lots of birds, lots of birds, uh, cockatoos, corellas, 
there's a couple of parrots we're going to have to go through and we'll put these up in some of the images uh, of, of the write-ups of the walks. Uh, and then I, I just need to look up the and see what these birds are. I just, I don't, I just don't know what they are. They're, they're so unique to this area. Um, the wildlife we did see, we did see the, we did see one kangaroo on this trip, uh, but it was, it spotted us and hopped away. Uh, and this is again something that's, it's, uh, that we're not used to. Used normally in coastal or uh, uh, eastern New South Wales, the kangaroos just tend to ignore you and sit there and don't move. And in this case, they'd see you and hop away. So there are probably a lot more, but we just didn't see them. I think is probably what happened. Yeah, and this is probably one of these few trips where I'd never managed to get. A, I think I did manage to get some photos of kangaroos from a distance, but on this walk, uh, this thing just hopped away and never saw it again. One thing that was common on some of these walks was goats, uh, which is a feral animal, and they do shoot the goats. There are lots of goats. Uh, I think they also try and herd the goats as well, and and try and. Um, sell them uh, to make, get a bit of income, um, but uh, yeah, that that was one thing that surprised us. I think you know uh, how how prevalent they were, and and goodness knows where they came from. Seriously, <laughs> it was just in the middle of nowhere. And if you have a look at the write up from this walk, I'm pretty sure I've got some a number of photos of goats in there, and that's the common sort of thing. And unfortunately, they do do a bit of damage with their sharp hooves on the on the landscape, and uh, it's not the sort of thing that you know, people want to encourage. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty typical. You know, Europeans come in, uh, they import all their 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 livestock, and then it becomes feral and causes damage to the environment. Yeah, and there is a an eradication and removal program in place. Now, we, we ended up rating this walk a three out of five on our rating system, and it's probably being a bit harsh here. It sounds a bit stingy, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Um, but that's probably more so from the walks we did over the next couple of days. Uh, there are some walks we'll talk about um, in a little while uh, that will go in our top ten walks of all walks that we've done that are truly spectacular. So it's... Um, you know, in any, anywhere, anywhere else in Australia, this this walk is bordering on being a four, but as I said, it's, it's probably a bit more than a four actually. But yeah, yeah, there yeah there are some really good walks which you'll hear shortly. Okay, talk to you later. This next walk is a bit of an odd one. It actually consists of a loop uh, on which a number of walks branch off. Uh, to provide separate individual walks or the entire loop can be done as a single walk. So we've gone through and recorded this as pretty much one walk and we'll discuss each of these walks towards the end uh, about the uniqueness and the differences as we go through. Um, one comment I would make here is Matawinji is one of those parks that's probably rare in some respects that the walks are unique. They're not a repeat of each other. It's not as if you do the same three walks in three different locations in the park. Each walk has something special on offer. And you'll hear that as we go through and talk over these next series of recordings. It's 10 past seven on Easter Monday. Uh, we have been up for probably an hour uh, after a fairly long night and had breakfast and gotten ready to go. So we decided we're going to start early. So we're starting our walk probably within about five minutes' time just to try and avoid 
most of the heat. So we've got a couple of walks we're doing today, uh, in total roughly around about seven and a half, eight kilometres, uh, and we should be back by sort of 11 o'clock-ish, uh, 12 o'clock-ish at the latest, just to avoid the majority of the, the hot afternoon sun. Uh, and it is looking like it's going to be a fairly fine, another hot day again. Yeah, so beautiful night, um, quite warm. So we had the fly of the tent uh, half open, which was quite nice. And, um, you know, you could fall asleep watching the stars. That was quite pleasant. Um, uh, lots of bird call uh, at dusk last night. We tried to catch some of it, but uh, probably wasn't uh, too successful. And you can hear a little bit of it in the background um, as well. So, yeah, quite a pleasant uh start to the day and um, looking forward to what we find along the way. I must admit, I because we've got the week off this week, I hadn't actually realised, um, because it is Easter Monday, there are a number of people who look like they're packing up and heading off home. Uh, there are a couple of young kids here, and I'm guessing because it is school holidays in some of the states, uh, that they'll probably stay on. Um, but yeah, I expect there to be a lot less people tonight here at this campground than there was uh, last night. Uh, and it was reasonably full last night. Uh, we've got a couple of corellas in the background there. You might be able to just hear. Um, but yeah, this this area actually has a creek running behind the campground, which is pretty much bone dry at the moment. Uh, but it looks like certainly when we get heavy rains, it's probably reasonably full. And I'm just guessing this is why the birds are here, uh, just for the water source and also the, the scraps that the humans leave as well. Okay, we're about to head off on our day's walking. Good morning. Today we're doing the Rock Pools Loop Walk in Mudawinji National Park. And while this is only the second walk we've done here so far, I think we're going to be finding anything else that we do is going to be hard-pressed to beat this. <laughs> this is really spectacular. Um, you do need to have a bit of head for heights. Um, there is some rock scrambling involved and at the moment we're sitting probably around about three metres back from the rock edge, uh, just taking views in down into the valleys below. It is really, really nice and you've got these hard uh, red rock uh, bluffs winding their way and forming the valleys. It really is impressive. Uh, as we leave here, we get very close to the edge. We're probably only about a metre from the edge before we start making our way back down. So as I said, if you don't have a head for heights or rock scrambling, um, possibly not the best one to do. But if you do, I think it's really well worthwhile. Yeah, I'm just loving it. it I'm loving the rock scrambling. And um, the rocks are quite varied. So sometimes it's, you know, quite close in and, um, uh, you know, sort of, uh, hands and feet all all happening together. Uh, other at other times, there are these really large um, banks of rocks um, that you know look quite smooth, but um, are quite grippy. So if you're, as, long, as long as you've got good shoes, um, you shouldn't have any problem. But yeah, it is just an amazing landscape. Okay, talk to you later on. Good morning. Today we're doing the Homestead Gorge Walk. And again, this is another great little walk. Um, the destination being Homestead Gorge, which I'm guessing is a large rock pool at the end of a gorge. And why I say I'm guessing is there's a section of, it, of information missing off the uh, 
uh, write-ups from the parks and the signage on the uh, uh, information kiosk. And I think this is one of the reasons why we do walk write-ups, to explain in detail what it is you're looking at. So in the case of where we are now, the walk just stops. There's nothing to say you are here, but there's really no other alternative to actually go any further. And I must admit, on the uh, on the map on the starting trailhead sign, it just had this walk just going off and just stopping in the middle of nowhere. And you know, if I had said that, it probably would have been a bit easier or a bit easier to work through. As it was, we just had to think, okay, we're here. Yeah, another great walk in this national park. Um, just a stunning combination of uh, walking um, alongside... Um, the creek bed, walking through the sand in the creek bed, which is a, a little bit uh, a hard work, um, you know, a small amount of scrambling over rocks, and then you end up in this, you know, essentially cul-de-sac with this pool of water and just, you know, sheer cliffs on e- either side, and it's just beautiful. I think if you, you came prepared for a swim, I mean, it's not the deepest of ponds, but you could sit here and laze around in it for a few hours quite comfortably. Um, so if, if you're into doing that, uh, bring a pair of swimmers and a towel uh, and come prepared. To, you, know, you could very comfortably have a, a nice little lunch in this area. Yeah, before we go, I will test the water. Not not full body, but just, uh, you know, extremities and <laughs> we'll let you know whether or not it's uh, worth the, the, the effort. Good morning. Today we're doing the Binguano Range walking track in Mudawindji National Park. Now this walk is supposedly around about a seven and a half kilometre loop. Uh, we'll find out what happens with that once we get back and we finish the walk. He's doing it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's come become apparent the, the more of these walks that we do in Mudawindji is each of these walks has been designed to have something unique. So in this case here, the Binguano Range walking track has uh, a it's a ridge walk you're walking on the top of the range it's providing some spectacular views to the gorges below and it's different to the western ridge walk that we did previously now the western ridge walk provided views down onto the open plain behind which is an ideal spot for uh, sunset walks Uh, this one is giving you views down into the gorges and valleys below so again very different so each of these walks, while they're hard to rate, I think we certainly do have our favourite so far, but each of them in its own right is worthwhile doing. Yeah, it is a little bit difficult at this point to, to work out which is a, the, the best of the best. Um, the views uh, on this range walk are just amazing and there are a few spots where you can get 360 degree uninterrupted views um, just into the horizon it's just amazing and uh, I I think I keep using that word but um, I'm really sort of struggling to find descriptors that adequately do these walks justice and particularly this one. This is another one of these walks where you are on a couple of occasions walking very close to the edge of a drop-off. <laughs> so if you're bringing kids, you need to keep an eye on, out on them. Or if you've got a bit of a thing against heights, uh, you need to keep that in mind as well. Yeah, grippy shoes. Grippy yeah. shoes, yep. Talk to you later. Okay, so that was the series of recordings we did from that large loop walk. And as we mentioned, you can either do these 
all these walks in one go as a loop, um, and that will take you around about 10 and a half kilometers, uh, or else you can do the walks individually and choosing to do uh, components of or just do single, single parts of and treat them as separate walks. Yeah, when you do the loop all together, it is a pretty tough walk. I mean, 10 and a half kilometers doesn't sound very um, challenging, uh, but they are challenging walks. Um, there's there's lots of clambering, lots of climbing. And uh, for some people, I'm not quite sure, some people actually took quite a bit of time to, to get around. So, From our perspective, we took about five hours and 15 minutes, and you know, we considered that to be slow. But we tend not to dawdle. We don't just sort of lie there and have a sleep or anything else. Uh, there were two other couples that did the walk the day after we did, and they both took around about eight, eight and a quarter hours to do these walks. Uh, but in talking to them both, they were saying that um, at least one of them was saying that they, they did about a half hour swim. Uh, and then a, a bit further on, they managed to get internet signal and checked all their emails. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but I think also, you know, we stopped along the way and took photos and we did the recordings and we did other things as well. So, you know, we're, we're not the, uh, you know, the, the fastest when you add all of that in. And it is about the experience um, and the enjoyment. And th- they were, I think the days they did it, they were probably hotter days than the day before that we did. So certainly if you're doing this as one single walk and doing all the individual components, I'd probably say allow about an eight and a half hour time frame. Uh, and again, given the heat, you uh, the, the couples, one couple started at uh, uh, at around about seven o'clock while another started at 9.30 uh, and they got back roughly eight hours later. So I think I'd almost be inclined to sort of start at 6.30 uh, and that'll that's still going to get you back around about mid-afternoon anyway. But it does mean you need to take snacks and water and uh, uh, and lunch with you. And if you are going to swim, you know, a, a towel or something, you can swim in as well. So the three walks we went through and did, and as I said, we will write these up as individual walks as well as then doing a combined loop walk because it really is going to depend on the time and the fitness and the ability that you that you have to to go through and do these. So the first walk is that we talked about was the Rock Holes Loop walking track, uh, and it actually uh, had a stopping point of a an Indigenous rock art gallery as part of the uh, uh, that walk uh, that was accessible to people in wheelchairs. So even though it was only a relatively short walk um, and and it was on natural trail, uh, you could actually get a wheelchair to that gallery, and that's about as far as it would go. From there on, you are doing climbing through creek beds and crossing over creek beds uh, to get your way through the rest of the walk. The Rock Holes Loop walking track, from our perspective, and I think I mentioned this in the introduction to this podcast, it will go into our top 10 walks. We've just got to work out where it sits. It is a spectacular walk. Um, uh, We've done things like Kings Canyon in the Northern Territory, uh, and Kings Canyon does not hold a candle to this walk. This really is a spectacular gorge walk. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, there's just everything about it in terms of, you know, the, the, the way up, the way down, the views you get at the top, the, the different uh, rock formations, the, the pools, you know, a little bit of history along the way. Yeah, it was just amazing. I, I just, 
again, I'm lost. I'm still lost for words on on these hikes. They were just superb. And there were a couple of identified rock art galleries along the way, and these were engraved engraved galleries. Uh, and there was one we came across, which we thought was the turn-off point, realised it wasn't. Uh, we then saw the second one and thought, okay, we'll have a look at that. And that realised you continue on up a little rock hill uh, that takes you to the uh, uh, onto the Rock Holes Loop walking track. And, and that little uh, tour or little um, trail up to the, the top there, um, sometimes, you, you know, at times you stood there and thought, wow, you know, can we actually get up there? And and then when you do it, it's like, oh, that wasn't that hard, was it? <laughs> A bit deceiving. But yeah, so I mean, I, I don't know what the um, the stone or the uh, the the rock was. It almost looked like it was loaded with iron. It was yeah. it had that dark, yeah. rich red color in it, and, and particularly when we did it earlier in the morning, uh, walking through the, uh, the the creek bed or what what was the dried creek bed and crossing over. Uh, you were walking through a lot of shade and it was really a very enjoyable walk. As mentioned, um, you know, you do get close to cliff edges on this walk. Uh, you do need to pay attention. Uh, the, the rock scrambling is not difficult by any means, but there are occasions where you need to have feet and hands in contact with the ground or with, with the rock to sort of pull yourself up. But it, you know, if you don't mind the heights, it is without a doubt probably one of the best walks we have done in the last 12 months and certainly, as I said, it will go into our top 10 walks of all time. From there, we made our way back down again. Uh, and you come back down to the best way I can describe this is a hub. So you come back down to uh, a small little grassy area, uh, not a bad little area for a break or a stop. Uh, and you can then either return back the way you came. And that gives you what is supposed to be roughly a seven and a half kilometer walk. Uh, or you then continue on and add uh, another component of the loop, or you continue on and do the whole loop. So for us, we continued on and did the Homestead Gorge walking track, uh, and that really, from where you return from the Rock Holes Loop walking track, you then turned up the Rock Gully uh, and continued on. Now, the Homestead Gorge walking track, um, the destination point really is a large body of what looks like almost permanent water. Uh, It's probably around about 60 metres long, maybe 10 metres, 15 metres wide. Doesn't appear to be overly deep. Uh, And talking to some of the other people who did this walk, they went and swam in this. And uh, Jill did test it, and I think it was uh, reasonably warm enough. Fresh. Yes, I mean it was a hot day, so the temperature difference between the water and the uh, the air temperature was pretty high. But yeah, it would have been a great, great. It is a great spot to cool down and uh, you know re- recover before you continue on or continue uh, back to the start. So if you if you don't mind having a bit of a swim and a bit of a break, bring something you can swim in and, and a towel to dry yourself off uh, before you continue on. Now, this walk is, is again another one that's actually uh, listed on the park walking track, uh, our walking tracks, and you can actually return back to the, uh, uh, the, the way you came without continuing on the loop. We ended up going back to that hub point and taking another branch which directed us across the, the, uh, uh, the dried creek bed to the Binguano Range walking track. Now, this one you need to sort of 
look at the signage, and the signage is, is not too bad, actually. If you pay attention and think, okay, I, I haven't seen a sign, and you look uh, across the if your field of vision, you'll normally pick one up. And this one actually takes you up out of the creek uh, into up, and you're basically heading up to the the range. Uh, and um, again, this is one of these walks where you're walking across the top of a ridge line, getting views. Not, I don't think they're as spectacular as the uh, Rock Holes Loop walking track was, uh, but it's still good views down into the surrounding landscape and off into the distance. For that one, it was pretty much 360-degree views. Um, and just, again, uh, you said earlier, Tim, about all of these work, walks being quite individual, another really different walking experience. So, yeah, doing doing each of these three, either as standalones or as part of the larger loop, um, you, you're seeing something different all the time. So with the Binguano walk, once we'd actually... Uh, Stopped up the top, had our views, and I think this is if you know if you're desperate for internet signal, this is probably where you're looking at it. Um, you're starting to make your way back down uh, and continuing a loop to join back up to the creek bed you came up on. Now, a word of warning through here, and because it's not actually apparent on the uh, the information signage, we came across a narrow area that required us to change levels and the way we did this was by uh, by means of a three and a half to four meter long piece of rope that required us to sort of let either in Jill's case she slid um, uh, backside down first holding onto the rope where I sort of turned face into the rope and walked back down um, choice is yours on this one through here uh, but again if you're if you don't have a good head for heights or it's not mm. something you feel comfortable in doing you may actually have to turn around and return back the way you came. Which would be a hell, hell of a hike, but uh, it was about a five-metre drop um, all up. And uh, I guess for, for me, I could have turned around and done, done it the same way uh, Tim did it. But for me, it was easy enough to just shimmy down um, using the rope as a, a guide and, uh, and then uh, just jumping into the, the sand for the last piece. So that worked okay for me. But I think, Tim, you know, there are a couple of narrow spots and you you probably needed to do it slightly differently. Having said that, you get off there and you then uh, make your way down the, the gully and about 10 or 15 metres later, you have to work your way through a narrow slot canyon. Uh, <laughs> and it's not long. It's probably only 20 metres long. Um, I think if you are a hiker that is above 150 kilos, you are probably going to struggle making your way through there. Uh, I do see some bigger hikers around from time to time. But, yeah, again, it's the sort of thing you've got to virtually hold on to the edges of the, the, this narrow rock crevasse uh, and just worm your way down as you're going. And there was a, a short piece of, of water in there which you had to try and avoid. Would have been easier without the water, um, but you know we both managed to get through and keep ourselves dry. Yeah, I must admit, I, I wasn't sure that you could uh, squash yourself flat enough to get through that piece, but uh, you managed. Yeah, and I think the advantage of being slightly bigger is you you can actually manage to wedge yourself, whereas if you're a bit smaller, uh, you have to sort of extend the arms a bit more. From there, pretty much the return back to the main 
channel of the um, the creek uh, was through the creek bed itself and the directional signage tended to take you from one side to the other depending on where the best walking area was. Uh, and I'd say that in this area, sometimes the signage was few and far between. Uh, with the rest of the track, you'd pretty much get a, a sign guide of some sort fairly regularly. With this one, you just had to trust that you really couldn't go off track. If you stayed on that creek bed, you had no choice but to get, be, be taking the right direction. Uh, but we weren't aware of that at the time. And, you know, it's you are having to go across a uh, dried creek bed uh, and, you know, it's not a, a quick process. You know, the others that we talked to that did this uh, loop walk, they said that's where they spent all their time is, is making their way down through the creek bed. We eventually did join back up onto the main track that we'd come in on uh, and you can think, okay, yep, I've seen, I can realise that. And it's pretty much back where that first uh, Aboriginal uh, rocker amphitheatre is. Uh, so we got there, realised we sort of looked to the right and we can see that. So we just had to make our way over the creek bed, uh, back up the um, the access point to the, the, the viewing platform for the rock art and then back down the trail again. Uh, and again, now, one of the things that sort of I didn't even think about where the return point was, um, but when we went out, we had no idea we'd be coming back through the same spot again uh, and certainly we didn't even think about looking downstream to see if that was where our return point was uh, but again it was pretty clear and pretty obvious once you made your way back out again yeah and and i think one of the things about uh, these rocks is we did talk about the rain um earlier and it, you know if there's any amount of rain um in this area it would make uh most of these um, trails a little bit hard to navigate because you are spending a lot of time uh, walking through those dry creek beds. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing. As I mentioned uh, earlier in this podcast, you do need to make sure before you head out there, if the plan is to go out and do all these walks, make sure that A, the, uh, the roads aren't blocked uh, and that they've had that much rain, you're not going to be able to access uh, the, the, the walks in this loop because it is so dependent on you walking along creek bed. Um, and while you can make your way along some of the, the area, there is a requirement to cross over from time to time. So this is really a dry weather uh, set of walking, uh, but definitely one well worth doing. Okay, so that was the last of our formal walks in Marawinji. Um, and... Really, for me, I'm one of these people that tend not to revisit a lot of sites, so there's just too many walks to do to go back again. But I think this is probably one of these rare exceptions where I'd be very happy to go back in a year or two or three years' time and redo these walks again. And we didn't manage to, we didn't manage to finish all the walks. We've still got one remaining walk left to do. Uh, but the reason for us not doing that was that there was a cultural tour on. So we had a slightly different uh, start to today. Uh, we went along and did uh, the Indigenous Heritage Tour with uh, one of the guides here and uh, also uh, the CEO of the National Park was there. Um, really, really, really interesting and definitely worth doing. Um, some amazing rock art uh, of different kinds and... Um, a really detailed and very informative um, 
explanation uh, of what we were seeing. I think from my perspective, we had actually planned on finishing off the last walk that we still had to do in the park. but uh, And we had actually planned on doing the heritage tour, but the opportunity arose and we thought it's a good, good time to do that. We can always come back and finish the last walk at some stage. I think the from our perspective, you know, we've done a number of Indigenous heritage tours over the years, um, given that for a number of years I did work in Indigenous heritage, uh, and this was probably one of the better ones. It was, you know, it wasn't by any means polished and um, uh, and and spotless, but it was real, uh, and I think it was, uh, you know, it just had that realism around it that a lot of others tend to lack. Yeah, and I think. Um you know, it was, was very informative and very engaging. And uh, for me, it, it is the best one I've been on and have done quite a few around the country. And uh, I think, you know, what Tim was saying around it, it's real, um, is quite an important aspect. Wasn't trying to be anything, wasn't trying to convince us of anything, wasn't trying to, um, you know, make the white people feel bad about what we've done, though we probably should and many of us do um it, it was really about you know what we're seeing and um what's happened and how we got here but also uh their aspirations for the future so we've just been spending the afternoon just sitting here i think for some reason uh we didn't uh, account for the downtime um you know, it is reasonably hot so the last thing you want to be doing is out in the heat if you can so we've tried to get out and about in the mornings and have the afternoons off um, but we didn't bring books to read, and I don't, I, I don't know why that was. So we're just sitting here taking the scenery and people. And we have no internet connection, so we can't no. even be distracted that way. So as we said, we're just sitting here taking in the scenery and people watching. So tonight's our last night at Mudawindji. Then we're getting up early tomorrow. We've been waking up probably around about 4.35, 5.30, and just thinking, when can we get up without bothering people? Everyone else tends to be a late to go to bed we tend to be early to get up so the whole concept of early to bed early to rise that's pretty much us yep. uh, so we're, we're typically first up in the whole campground uh, get up have a cup of tea have breakfast and then sort of we're walking by seven <laughs> but in this case I think we'll be in our cars leaving the park by sort of six six thirty seven tomorrow yeah it's uh, a bit disappointing for people tomorrow because we will be making a noise <laughs> a little bit early. We'll do what we can tonight to pack up, but um, uh, y you know, as Tim said, for some reason, uh, even some people who've done the the longer walks today, um, one couple uh, got started quite late and they're not back yet. And uh, you know, it's it's pretty hot, and uh, yeah, they're probably expected back maybe an hour and a half ago, but. Uh, the, the weather's obviously kept them. So tomorrow we're heading towards Mildura via Broken Hill. Um, we were tossing up about whether we drop into um, uh, Mungo National Park and do some of the stuff we'd planned on, uh, but we thought rather than making it a really long day and trying to force it, uh, we'll actually drive back out from uh, Mildura uh, on Thursday and do the day out at Mungo. We've got a couple of short bushwalks. And if we can do, there's a 70 kilometre drive that takes us around to some of the scenic points around the park. But I know when we started planning this trip, probably about a month or so ago, uh, sections of it were closed 
due to potential higher fire dangers. So we'll have a look online to see whether that's been reopened again. Okay, talk to you later. It's day five of our Western New South Wales trip uh, and we woke up <coughs> as early as we usually do uh, and when well and truly the first one's up so uh, all we had to do was finish up packing in the tent, get dressed uh, and we ended up leaving uh, just before six o'clock uh, this morning. We've been on the road for roughly around about um, two hours 45 minutes, um, had breakfast at Broken Hill uh, and we're just heading south towards Mildura. We, we originally were going to um, go straight to Mildura today and then come back tomorrow and do uh, Mungo National Park. Uh, and we decided we, uh, given how early we are, and we would have well and truly got into uh, Mildura by sort of lunchtime, uh, that we decided we'd do Mungo today. We've only got two short walks and uh, hopefully a 70 kilometre drive uh, along the uh, uh, the driving circuit if that's still open. Yeah, so another lovely day, uh, not a cloud in the sky. I think um, there's evidence of, of rain in um, lots of places, uh, particularly around Mudawindji. Um, but, uh, you know, I think fortunately we've been safe from all of that. Um, and uh, easy driving, lots of straight roads, um, which makes it quite fine, and an end to the dirt roads, uh, which I don't mind too much, but, uh, you know, um, it can be a bit jarring with the, uh, the ruts in the road, that kind of stuff, particularly after all the rain that uh, they've had. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to seeing Mungo. OK, talk to you later. Good afternoon. Today we're at Mungo National Park doing one of a couple of walks we're going to be doing in this park and that's the Grasslands Nature Trail. This trail is, sits somewhere between about 1 to 1.2 kilometres in distance. We'll see what happens with our GPS when we finish. Uh, so it's not an overly long trail and I'll be honest it's not going to be a trail you'll travel 500 kilometres to walk. <laughs> we did. We did, yeah. <laughs> but I think there's a couple of reasons for looking at doing this trail. One, it's here. Uh, two, it's a wheelchair-friendly track, albeit in a dirt track, but it's fairly flat and open and wide, so uh, it shouldn't be too difficult to get a wheelchair around. And I think the main reason this track is here is to showcase the environment, the challenges that it faces, and talk a bit about the vegetation. So if you're new to this area, it provides a lot of good information. Yeah, it is quite interesting. The signage is very good and um, the information around, uh, I guess, uh, a lot of impact of uh, European um, influence. Uh, so uh, trying to manage uh, rabbit numbers, um, uh, what they're doing in relation to uh, managing fire, um, but also the, the, the normal sorts of um, weather conditions and how it impacts um, the trees and the regeneration. Okay, on with the walk. Okay, so that was finishing off at Muduinji National Park and then heading on towards Mungo National Park. Um, I must admit, Muduinji was a park that I didn't really know much before this trip. Um, Jill had gone through and done all the planning for this uh, this this. Easter trip this year, 
Um, and I wasn't quite sure what to expect before I went out there. And for me, it really is a hidden gem of a national park. It is a long way to get there. It is remote. Uh, ideally, you do want to have a four-wheel drive or at least an all-wheel drive vehicle to get there. But it is well worth the visit. And if you're heading out towards the direction of Broken Hill or you're a keen hiker and just want to go out and do the walks, it is really well worth doing it. The trip on to Mungo, uh, I'd actually been to Mungo National Park in the past, but that was for a work-related trip. Uh, and so we wanted to go back out and, 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 and A, to show Jill and also to try and do some walks. We ended up planning on doing two walks. Um, we completed one walk, which was the Grasslands Trail, uh, and we attempted to do a second walk, <laughs> but in all honesty, the, the heat just got to us. I mean... That's the thing about walking in these western New South Wales areas. If you live out there and work out there, it's a different thing. But certainly for us, the, it, the heat becomes really hot. Up, you know, it's just too hot after lunch. Well, even the locals were saying it was too hot at Mungo. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think, yeah, we, we ended up doing the one walk and that's fine. And I think from Mungo's perspective, Mungo's more about the heritage. It is a world heritage site. Um, it is there for cultural reasons uh, uh, and many people may have heard of Mungo Man and Mungo Woman, uh, which were two uh, uh, mummified uh, remains that had been collected many years ago and handed quite, handled quite badly before being handed back just recently to the local traditional owners. So it's, um, you know, it's, a, it's a, a world heritage site. It is well known. Uh, and the scenery is quite spectacular. We we went and after we did the walk, we went to do this 70-kilometre self-drive tour, and we were aware before we went out there that it, it potentially may have been closed, and when we dropped into the visitor centre, sure enough, because of the, the, the excessive rain that had over the last month or two, a lot of the roads had been damaged and hadn't been repaired. Yeah, it's not one thing, it's the other, isn't it? So we went and did the Walls of China, uh, which is uh, a well-known feature. And the second site we got to... Red Top. Red Top. Uh, and that's where we could uh, stop, get out and have a look. And again, there's some quite unique uh, geological formations there. Get back in our car and turn around and head back to the, the park entry. And in both those locations, there are viewing platforms and um, uh, interpretation signage and... Um, you know, re really helpful things. Uh, it is partly about the landscape but also uh, obviously about the heritage as well. Uh, so we then uh, and then headed into Mildura. We got into Mildura around about 5.30, I think it was, that evening. Um, and I think that's because you stopped navigating from that point. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I must admit, Mildura is one of those sort of towns it's the second time I've been there that I can at least remember. I know, I know I have been there as a young child. I just don't remember it. And it's a really nice town. It's a rural sort of town, uh, lots of citrus, lots of um, uh, uh, wineries out there, but it just has a nice feel about it. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. And yeah, we, uh, we, we made the mistake, I suppose, of um, trying to uh, just turn up to a restaurant without a booking and we found that a lot of the restaurants were booked. So there's a lot of tourists there, either through school holidays, a lot of the grey nomads uh, wandering through the countryside, uh, and it surprised us. One of the things we hadn't really thought about was it was going to be that busy. 
Uh, and in fact, the, the gentleman who did the uh, uh, heritage tour in uh, Marawinji uh, was also, uh, his real job was uh, in managing a hotel. And he said even through COVID, he had about 80% occupancy, which is very good for a hotel. Um, so it's, I, mean, I think people are trying to avoid the tourist hotspots. Uh, and the big city centres, I think. The big city centres and getting out into the remote areas. So, And that was an issue for us as well. We were originally planning on camping at Mungo, uh, but because one of the campsites was closed due to the, the damaged roads, uh, it was booked up. Um, so uh, we, uh, even though we booked a couple of months ago, it wasn't enough time. So um, just because it is remote, uh, expect there to be a lot of people out there. Yeah, and Mungo is a really interesting one because um, uh, people, well, the the walks, the uh, the pl- viewing platforms, and so on are all so far away. Uh, you have to drive. So um, it does, with those dirt roads, become a little bit of a, a raceway at times and uh, you do need to keep your, your wits about you when you, you're driving along. And uh, there was there were a couple of moment, moments when um, big four-wheel drive, big caravan coming the other way and wind blowing in our direction across the road and just covered with dust and lost lost sight of the road a couple of times. So M- Mungo, even though it's this heritage area that we've heard so much about, I think the thing that surprised me was there is so much traffic. Yeah, yeah. But really from my perspective, Mungo is more about the heritage tourism rather than the walking. Matawinji, uh, the, the, the Indigenous heritage was very interesting, but I think it was more for me the walking was spectacular. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean both both are very good, but definitely um, they're two different national parks, um, and there are a whole bunch of naf- national parks in between, and a whole bunch that we passed along the way um, that, that that we hadn't planned to go to. That now we're going to start doing a little bit more research <laughs> around some of those smaller remote parks. It's day seven of our Western New South Wales trip, and we're heading home. We've been on the road for around about two hours now. Uh, left Mildura just before six o'clock this morning. Uh, just passed through Balranald. Uh, we've still got another 621 kilometres to go. Uh, and that's, according to the GPS, around about just over seven hours worth of driving. Uh, by the time we get a couple of breaks in there, it'll probably be, uh, it definitely will be a bit longer than that. Um, yesterday we had a bit of a relaxed day. I had, had a very good sleep the night before. Got up after around about 7.30, 8 o'clock, which is a, definitely a sleep in for us, uh, or for me at least anyway, and um, headed into town for breakfast. Uh, got the car ready uh, and then uh, did, uh, did a bit of a winery tour uh, around the local area before heading back and just uh, having a relax in the afternoon. Yeah, so um, I was just thinking about the, the highlights of the trip. Um, the, the driving hasn't been um, as onerous as I thought it would be. Surprisingly, there hasn't been a lot of uh, traffic on the road and even the you know hundreds of kilometres of dirt road that we've driven on have, haven't felt too bad. But, um, you know, Mungo National Park uh, was just amazing. Um, 
you know, Murawindji is absolutely worth a visit and a stay and probably for us even um, a return visit maybe one day. But uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it, it's been great. It's been great to support some uh, local ventures and, uh, you know, spend a bit of time in Mildura and uh, enjoy what um, they have on offer there. Okay, we're off and going and we'll be for a number of hours. Okay, so that's all for our trip to the western uh, border of New South Wales. Um, It was a bit of a surprise for me. I knew I'd enjoy it. I didn't think I'd enjoy it that much. The walking was that spectacular, particularly in Marawindji. Uh, And as I said, it's rare that I ever revisit sites again because there's just so much on offer. But this would be one of these locations I'd be very happy to go back to in a few years' time. Okay, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and learning a bit more about remote New South Wales national parks. Uh, Certainly for us, we will be visiting some of the others that are out that direction in the coming years. Um, But that's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.